we just thank you that you are a personal God, that you are a God who calls us by name, meets us individually, and ministers to us, Father, in the situations and circumstances of our lives. And so, Father, that being the case, we gather together in this room today to sit under your word one more time, and praying, Father, that you would guide us in it, that you would reveal yourself and reveal, Lord, the magnitude of your might and your power, but also your love and your compassion. And I pray, Father, in turn, that we would be people of compassion. And so, Father, once again, just speak to us, guide us, and bless us through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Greetings. Good morning back there. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. We'll be picking up at verse 9. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seats. If there isn't, if you need a Bible, raise your hands and we'll bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Up here's a couple. Go ahead and turn it to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. And then stand for the reading of God's word. The writer writes, verse 9, Hebrews 2, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sacrifices and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again... Here am I and the children whom God has given me. As much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same through death, he might destroy him who had power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham." Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, and things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have come, that you have met us, Lord, in a personal way. And of God, as we un unwrap the reality of who you are, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us even one more time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So what we've been looking at in Hebrews so far, we saw in the first part of chapter 1 that Jesus, Jesus was the better word. And then we saw that the Lord, the Lord was no angel. He's so much better than the angels in that he is God. 
And then we saw last time we met for Hebrews, we saw in the beginning of chapter 2 that he offered so great a salvation. It was that which the Old Testament could not deliver, an angel could not deliver upon, but it's that which pointed towards the coming of Messiah, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, a day that we are going to be celebrating communion, the writer of Hebrews is going to finish off chapter 2, showing us why the humanity of Christ was necessary. Why was it necessary for the Lord Jesus Christ to become incarnate, to take on flesh? And so I'm going to get right into the study again as we have uh, communion towards the end. And so the first reason for Christ's incarnation was to establish paternity. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting for him for whom all, excuse me, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now there is a harmony here. There's basically, we're seeing two separate ends of the stick, if you will, in verses 9 and 10. In verse 9 it says, it tells us that Christ tasted death for everyone. And we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Now, when it says for everyone, that means everyone. That means all of humanity. When Christ died on the cross, he died for everybody. Not everybody was going to receive of the grace of God, but nonetheless, the possibility is there for God to be a just God. Salvation has to be made available for everybody. But then you look at verse 10, and it tells us that he brought many sons to glory. It's telling us here that he didn't bring everybody. He died for everybody, but not necessarily, as we all know, everybody is going to believe. And so although Jesus died for everyone, it's only those who were designated as sons whom he takes to glory or whom he takes to heaven. Remember, all of mankind is God's creation. We see this in Isaiah 45, 12. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hands, stretch out the heavens, and all of their host I have commanded. So we are not all children of God, but we are all creation of God. And when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he died for all of humanity. But also remember, as we are all creation, it's those who believe that are children of God or sons of God. We see this in John chapter 1 verses 12 through 13. For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his names who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So not of blood. There's no such thing as birthright here. Not of the will of flesh. There's no way of getting in through your works. Nor of the will of man. Nobody else can get you in that those who were born must be born of God. And we know in John chapter 3, what are we told there? You must be born again. Many times I have said it, nowhere in the Bible does it say you must become a Christian. The Bible does specifically tell us you must be born again. There must be some sort of change that occurs in your life that you see, that you know that that was truly a work of God. 
It's necessary for you to know so that you know that you have been transformed. If any man's in Christ, he is a new creation, that you have gone from just simply being creation of God to being a child of God or being a son of God to fit our context here. And so we see that Christ came with so great a salvation because all of humanity, all of creation, they were perishing but Jesus came again, verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom all are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, again saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Now, what is he called here? He's called the captain. Next to captain, you can write pioneer. And we can kind of relate to that term pioneer. Back in the pioneer days when they went to settle the West, the pioneers were the first one to enter in of so many more to follow. And that's the same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who first entered or settled a region and opened it up for others. And the region that he settled and opened up was death. He entered in before us all. And the way that he perfected it or completed it was through her suffering upon the cross. So just think of what is necessary. Jesus Christ has come to achieve victory over sin. Now there's necessary to have a biblical illustration of this. He must follow through in the scriptures according to the Old Testament and according to the New Testament. So in order for him to achieve victory over sin, we're told he must take the sin upon him. Now, anybody who takes the sin upon him, them, is going to die. Death has come about because of sin. And so Christ is upon the cross, and he's taken sin upon him. We know that this occurred around the time when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then what's the next thing that happened? He gave up his spirit. And so we know that Christ took sin upon him because he died upon the cross. Now, if it was just left there, you would be left wondering because you would know what the word said, but apparently, was he really the Messiah? Because as soon as he took sin upon him, even if it wasn't his sin, but he took the sin of humanity upon him and he died, was he really any different than any of us, the rest of us? But that's the value of Easter Sunday, because when he came back to life, that means he achieved victory, obviously, over death. But what that tells us as well is he achieved victory over sin. And whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But you need to look at that the opposite way. Whoever doesn't believe is going to perish. And so you have all of creation. And the question once again is, which way is it going to be? Which way is it going to be? We're looking at that on... uh, on Thursday evening, as we're in the Gospel of John in chapter 18, the Jews, they need to determine, what are we going to do with Jesus? And they try to pawn him off on Pilate, and Pilate's got to make this determination, what do I do with Jesus? And then he sends him over to Herod, what are we going to do with Jesus? And nobody knows really what to do with Jesus. He, they, they see he's innocent, he's obviously innocent, 
And the Jews, as far as his innocence, they don't really care. But the problem is there's this conviction thing, and then he's kind of muscling in, if you will, or at least coming up against them in their profit-making of the temple. And so they've got to make this big decision. What do we do? And so finally they decide to do the worst thing that anybody could possibly do. Now, I know that this is part of God's plan, but they kill Christ off. And how many people, how much of creation has killed Christ off in their life? How do you kill Christ off? You kill Christ off by either refusing to hear God's word or refusing to answer to God's word because there's got to be a change. You must. Jesus, he, he words it so emphatically and so strongly. You must be born again. Are you a Catholic? doesn't matter. You must be born again. If you're an atheist today, you must be born again. If you're a, a Calvary Chapel Ontarioan, you still must be born born again. There's got to be that change that occurs within your life. The thing about it is, is he died for all of humanity. So everybody has the choice to make, but also the ability to come into the family of God. And those who do, this captain, this pioneer has gone before us because, well, death, I'm sorry, sin has had an effect upon all of us. One day, everybody, barring rapture, everybody in this room is going to die. Have you taken care of that day? You've taken care of so much. A lot of us have taken care of all the way up to the doorstep of death. We've gotten the life insurance policies. We've gotten the retirement. We worked and we've gotten taken care of everything right up to that point. But what happens on the other side of that point? And so what we see here is the necessity to understand God's plan, and especially this book of Hebrews, if you're aware of the Old Testament by any stretch of the imagination, there's this perfect joining together of the two and really the fulfillment of, so that, well, the Jew of that day, he can have confidence. Remember this writer, we don't know who the writer is. A lot of people have made guesses, but the Lord has chosen to not reveal that. The writer of Hebrews is writing back to Jews in Jerusalem because they're starting to bring back in works-based salvation. They're starting to bring back in elements of Judaism that could never do anything for them in the past. And here, that term that's going to be peppered throughout this book, Jesus is better. He's so much better. But you've got to hear and you've got to receive through belief. But it's then that you see the change made from creation to a son. We see this concept in Galatians chapter 4. I'm not going to turn there, but in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, as the point is being made that Jesus Christ, well, he's the son of the father. He's the natural son of the father. He's got the nature and the essence of the father. The essence of the Father, and that as the Father is God, so is the Son. That would only make sense. The nature, well, just as the Father is perfectly pure, the Son was without sin as well. Now, none of us fit in that description, but that makes sense because we're not the physical children of the Father. We're brought in through adoption. We've been adopted into the family. So I'm not going to have the nature and the essence of my Father, but nonetheless, the Father still loves me. Matter of fact, the Father loves me to such a degree that he saw me even when I was still a sinner. Even when I was lost in my sins and my trespasses is that he desired He desired for me to enter into the family. Now, you can adopt somebody, but if that person doesn't want to be adopted into the family, it's not going to stick. It's not going to take. 
that person has to have that desire, has to have that desire to enter in. And so the father opens his arms. The adoption, the ability to be adopted is there, but the decision needs to be made. It needs to be made by the individual to enter into that family. And so Christ has opened the door. He sent the natural son. He sent the natural son so that we would know and that we would understand the necessity of entering in. Jesus opened the door, and because he did that, we once again are able to be adopted in. So then, we are now brothers of the Son. Notice the first time that Jesus referred to man as his brother. It's in John chapter 20, verse 17, and it's after the resurrection. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. It's after he paid the price for sin, after he became the captain or the pioneer of faith that many others now are able to enter in. Now that the love of the Father, because of the cross, has been revealed to all of humanity, they're able to be adopted into the family, and now Jesus is referring to them as brothers. You've been adopted in now. And you're my brethren, and we're going to be going to the Father. And that's what we're celebrating here in the communion meal. It's remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done. God sent his son so that you would know that there's a family out there. God sent his son so that you would know that there's a family that loves you, wants you, and desires you. Because if he didn't send the son, how would you ever know? Matter of fact, if it was just the God of the Old Testament, you would never fully understand You would have this stern God and you'd be of the mindset that God is angry and he's very angry and I know that I'm a sinner and I probably just made him even more angry. And who would really even want me? Who would even want me? How how would a God, a holy God, even have a desire for me? But God revealed that love upon the cross. He revealed that love so we don't want to go back to the old religious ways because we have now entered into this grand and glorious relationship with our God and we need to see the beauty and we need to see how great this salvation truly is and so it was after his suffering and his resurrection that now we can have an understanding of what it means to be part of the family to be relatives together if you were like me last week after service you gathered together with family and maybe some friends and you celebrated mother's day it's again what we did and as we celebrated mother's day it was just another day of that feeling of family there was grandma great grandma great is my mother there was emma and papa that would be terry and myself there were my children not all of them but some of my children were there and then grandchildren were there and it was just a neat time of just being in that same place together and how much more so as we gather together on a Sunday morning, as we come together as family, we've all been brought into the kingdom of heaven the very same way. There's not a one of us that get here by our works. Not one of us gets here by our own righteousness, how right we can make ourselves be in the sight of God. We've all come in through the blood of the lamb. When we say the blood that speaks of the death, we've all come in through the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has cleared the way, and he has revealed the way. Matter of fact, he is the way. 
In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29, it says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Now, what he's speaking of here is dynamics of a family. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which to them is a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And so as we are adopted into the family, as we are now related to the brother, related to our Lord, we are going to suffer as our Lord has as well. Why? Because we're no longer of the world. Do you want to be part of the world? And really what it boils down to, as far as the world and as far as the Lord, the world is going to suffer for eternity. It may be looking pretty good for them right now, but there's going to be suffering for eternity. But on the other part, as far as us, as we die to the flesh, as we live to the Lord, as we go out for the purpose of making disciples, there's going to be seasons of suffering. There's just no doubt about it. And then there's just the common thing because of the currents of sin, the reality of sin, that we just the same sufferings that everybody else deals with. But that's just going to be momentary. That's just going to be a vapor. There's going to be that time when we're going to be with the Lord for all of eternity. You're going to be in paradise for all of eternity. Isn't it worth it, the suffering that we have to endure for today? I mean, it's just going to seem like a momentary thing. That's what the Apostle Paul came to the realization of. Understanding that in comparison, well, there is absolutely nothing that compares. So, second reason that Christ was incarnate, first, to establish paternity, secondly, to establish our privilege. Look at verse 14 through 16. As much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to the angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham, some people stop at Jews, but Abraham is the father of all of those who will believe through faith. It's what your kids are actually learning here today looking at Father Abraham. What did he tell him that he needed to do? He needed to get out of his land. But there's his father. He's with him, and his father can only take him so far. And then his father, this man who was an idolater, he dies, and then God meets him and says, go out from these people, go out from among these people, and come into a land to which I will show you. And isn't that the kind of reality that we experience as we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some of us forsook our families. Some of us, we forsook maybe jobs, lifestyle, definitely. We forsook all of that because God had a greater promise. God says, come out from amongst the people, come out from amongst all of creation, and come to this place that I'm going to show you. The thing about it is, he only shows us step by step by step, but it's been a wonderful journey. And so just as Jesus is the captain of our salvation, Satan, he's the captain of transgression. 
Verse 14 tells us that since we are humans, we all partake or have this commonality of flesh and blood. The problem with flesh and blood, the problem is how I was created before salvation, is in 1 Corinthians 15.50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Now there's two ways of looking at that verse. Flesh and blood, some people have attached that to works, and it's true. I cannot ascend to heaven through my own works. And also, they've also attached it, and it's pretty much the context, that there needs to be a change, that flesh and blood cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the body must change. We must change into those spiritual bodies. But either way, it all works. It's all about the work that Christ has done and continues to do. This being the case, Jesus kind of worked backwards or reverse anyway he shared or partook of something that is not naturally his not naturally of his nature and so just as there's going to be this change in my life for me to enter into heaven God looked down and he reversed the process he became flesh and blood so that I would be able to relate so that I in turn would be able to become spirit He did this for our privilege so that we would be able to share in his nature. So he became of our nature so that we would be able to comprehend so that us at some point would be able to share in his nature. Because remember, although you're not righteous, your righteousness has been imputed to you. It would be like you coming in here and me telling, okay, look underneath the seat. Don't do this because it's not true. Look underneath the seat. And I put a sticker under there for $100,000. I'm waiting to see if anybody's going to (laughs) look. I didn't do that because I don't have $100,000, but nonetheless, let's say I did have $100,000, and I put that sticker under there, and you found it. I'd say, okay, I can't give you the cash, or I'm not going to give you the cash right now, but I've got it in the bank. And in three years from now, it's even going to increase in value. At least you'll come to the knowledge of the increase in value. And then it's all yours. Well, that $100,000, it's been imputed to you. It's in your name. It's sitting in the bank account. And one day, you'll probably be thinking of it for the next few years, next three years, how you're going to spend it all. Well, it's the same thing with our righteousness. My salvation is a done deal. My righteousness, my absolute purity in the sight of God that's imputed to me. That's sitting, if you will, in that account, and I'm not going to be able to draw from it. I will not be seen as, well, I'm seen as righteous, but I will not be actually righteous until I'm in the presence of God. And I so look forward to that day. Just think of it. No sin. No sin. Just, just, I mean, don't dwell upon this, but just think how sin has wreaked havoc on your life. Just think, I just think how tired and how exhausted you can be. It's a result of sin. How sick you can be at times. It's a result of sin. And then on top of that death, it's a result of sin. And there's going to come that time when there's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more suffering. And man, we so look forward to that day. I I did a few things yesterday working. I'm sore this morning. I'm just not the person that I used to be. I mean, just seriously, just just to do something low, I mean, you think gravity would be working for me? I mean, I put on a few extra pounds to help the gravity out, but it's hard to go down, but it's even harder to get back up. 
And when you're doing work that's on your knees in detail like that, to go up and down, up and down, it's a hard thing to do. And my point in all of that is, it's not, I'm just not what I used to be. And I kind of think, well, last 10, 20 years, I'm not what I used to be back then. What in the world am I going to be 10 to 20 years from now? It's kind of a scary thing. But you see that at a certain point in time, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get that new body, and I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, His divine power has been given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What does it mean to be a partaker of the divine nature Well, think about it. Nature determines appetite, behavior, environment, and association. When my kids were over, my daughter brought these two dogs that they have, these little rag dogs that they have. And just watching, they're enjoyable. I like dogs, there's no doubt about it. But it's according to their nature to do some pretty disgusting things. You see, well, I won't even go into it because why should we? (laughs) You, You all know. But really, what I need to go into is what about our appetite what about our nature and so nature determines appetite behavior environment and association so i have to ask the church what's your appetite what's your appetite do you hunger and thirst for the world's fruit and what the world has to offer in the long run it's poison or do you hunger and thirst for righteousness it's that which you need right now you need to make that determination what are my passions towards are my passions towards the things of the lord or or the things of the world. Secondly, church, what is your behavior? Do you conduct yourself according to your senses, or do you conduct yourself according to the Spirit? Now, we're all going to go according to our senses, how we feel, or the leading of the flesh, however you want to say it. That's just going to be how things are until we're with the Lord. But where's the desire of your heart? Is the desire of your heart towards your senses, or is the desire of your heart towards that which is of the Spirit? Thirdly, church, what is your environment? Is your life decorated by your past? Even though you've come into the kingdom, maybe even though you've been born again, are you still living in the past world and bragging about the things of the world? Or have you filled it with the things of the Lord? Have you put on Christ? Remember, put on Christ, the idea is as putting on a jacket. So when people see you, see you from the external, they see Christ, they see somebody who has been changed. They see somebody who stands out, a peculiar person from the world. Or, what's your association? Is it with the godless or is it with the godly? What is your nature? What is your nature? A a good little quick check. I've used this before. I haven't said it in a long time. But even right now, as we're in the Word of God, as we're looking at these things that pertain to our lives... Have you come to the realization that you're born again, or are you just bored again? You're up there once again, speaking of these things that I have no intent of doing. Pastor Mike, I'm just here to put in my time that I figure if I sit under you and suffer enough, I've got to go into heaven. I spend enough time in hell. That doesn't work that way. It, It just doesn't work that way. You must come to the complete understanding and realization 
that you are born again. That as I read through the scriptures, that it just, it, it just increases the knowledge and confirms the reality that I am a son of God. If there's just constant conviction every time you're in the word of God, has there really been a change made? I mean, think about that. If you're sitting in a Bible study or you're sitting reading your Bible, if you're constantly convicted, then maybe God's telling you, you've got to change something somewhere. Something's not right here. And if something's not right in your life, God loves you too much to keep you that way. And you've got to start at the beginning. You've got to start at salvation and you work your way through if there's that constant conviction without peace offered. Now, we're all going to be convicted by the Word of God, but I also know that the Word of God is going to bring me peace in my life if I'm truly a born-again believer. And so these things, these checks, I must take these things, and I must take these things very seriously because you never know when your life is going to be required of you. The third reason for Christ's incarnation was to establish paternity, to set our privilege, and to be a priest to his people. Verses 17 and 18. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. So remember, he is the nature and the essence of the Father. He was made, though, like us, like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is also able to aid those who are tempted." Why did we need another priest? We needed another priest because we needed a perfect priest. Because the ultimate job of a priest was to represent God to the people and the people to God. And that's been the problem with any priest that's ever existed. They have not been able to do that in perfection. Sooner or later, the flesh is going to well up. Sooner or later, the flesh is going to be seen. Eli, he failed even with his own family, and it cost his sons his life. Uzziah, this was one of the good kings of Israel. He tried to play the priest, something he ought not to have been done, and well, yeah, he was even thrown out. Then there are the Pharisees of the Lord's day, these people who became full of themselves and never filled with the Spirit. And the people, in each case, the people suffered. Priests who couldn't or wouldn't relate to God nor relate to man. And look what he was able to do. It says here that he was able to aid his people. The idea behind that word is to run to the cry of a child. When we were lost and we were lost in our sins, when we were destined for destruction, as we cried out for God, God heard our cry, and God answered our cry. Our personal cry, but the cry of humanity throughout the ages as well. Now, it was a big part of the priesthood to offer a price for sin, the sacrifice. Here we are told that this faithful high priest, he became the sacrifice. When it says the propitiation Propitiation means price paid to appease anger. He became the perfect sacrifice. Again, you're going to get into that in this, as we go through this book of the Bible, that Jesus is a better priesthood. He was a better sacrifice. And because of that, we're able to partake of all of these things. So because of sin, there was a price necessary to be paid, and God was very specific about what that price is. We see it in Hebrews 9.22. And according to the law, 
almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now keep in mind, when you hear the shedding of blood, and you hear the blood of the lamb, and all of that, that means death. The life of a person, the life of an animal is in the blood. When the blood is shed, that means death. So as we're partaking of the communion meal, here instead of wine, it's juice, but it's symbolic of the blood of the Lord. And what does it speak of? It speaks of the death of Jesus Christ. And so the death of Jesus Christ was propitiation for sins. It was offered to humanity, but only the sons were going to receive it. For those of us who are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the anger of God has been appeased through the death of Jesus Christ. If you were to be hung upon the cross, it would be for eternity and the anger would never be appeased. Think of it. It's just a picture here, but the anger of God directed towards you in your sinful state, it's never appeased. So that means you never get off the cross. I mean, if just kind of a picture here, if that was to be you upon the cross, paying the price for sins, it's a price that you just cannot pay, not at all. And so Jesus came in the flesh to be able to be the propitiation. First John 4, 9 through 10, and this is the love of God, which was manifest towards us or revealed towards us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that he might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And in this, through his flesh, he established paternity. We now, for those who believe, we can come to the understanding that we are sons of God. He didn't get stuck with me. He wanted me. He desired me. He desires you. He wants you. He longs for you to such a degree that he died for you. To set our privilege. He set a privileged position that I understand that God's thoughts are towards me and that he moves and works in my life and that I have this perfect priesthood that he made the sacrifice. All that he did was once and for all of humanity. And Jude the last book before the book of Revelation, Jude 3. Jude 3 is an effective verse anytime you come into contact with cults, all of those who may have another gospel or added to the gospel. Jude 3 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. So he's talking about the gospel, the faith in Jesus Christ, it says, which was once, one time, for all delivered to the saints. One time delivered to the saints. There was one time in history that we got the word of God that was delivered to the people back then and delivered to us and those who will be in the future because God wants you to know. He wants you to understand who he is. He wants you to understand who you are in his sight, either you're a child of creation or you're a child of God, but he also wants you to understand the glorious future that he has for those who believe. And so we have to check our hearts. We have to check our hearts every time that we open the word of God. Don't take your salvation for granted because God didn't. God didn't, and he expects you not to, to consider these things and make sure that I'm not trying to be a Christian through sitting in a church but I become born again through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, he has sent us, sent us his word so that we would know and understand these things, but he's also given us a visual illustration. And the visual illustration is the celebration of the communion meal. Again, the celebration of the communion meal, it points back to the past, of this Messiah who'd been prophesied. It points towards that time on Mount Calvary as he died upon the cross. It, it points to our lives today for us who have partaken of the Son. But it also points to the future, that Jesus Christ, he's going to come again. He's going to come again. He's going to come and the church is going to be raptured. And there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation. And then he's going to come with all of the saints and he's going to bring judgment. But he's going to establish this heavenly kingdom that we are going to live and reign in for all of, all of time. All of time. And he wants us to know there's going to come that time in the future that we will sit down with him and we'll dine with him. We'll have intimate fellowship with him. He doesn't want you to ever, ever forget that. He wants to remind you of those things even today. And so as we celebrate these commun this communion meal, consider how you're celebrating it. Are you celebrating it once again in conviction, knowing that there's things left undone and things that you need to do and you're going to get to it one day? Or are you celebrating it just as truly as maybe you celebrated Mother's Day last week where it was a joyous time amongst family and friends? Today is to be a joyous time amongst family or friends. If you find yourself on the outside looking in, you just need to enter in through faith. It's to submit yourself, submit your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To as many as believed in him, he gave the right. This is a right that God has offered to humanity. If you believe in him, he has given you the right to be called a child of God. Now, it was at that final supper when Jesus was with his disciples in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take eat. This is my body. So they've all partaken in this meal before. Something unique is happening here, though. As they were eating, Jesus took bread. Now, this stood out to Matthew. Take eat. This is my body. And again, it's a reminder that Christ came. Christ walked amongst mankind. God walked amongst mankind for a period of history here on this earth. We just saw all of the reasons why. Verse 27, And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. Now he's telling them, Eat of this. And the idea is, Do you believe that Jesus Christ, what we just talked about, came and that he was incarnate, that he came in the flesh? Well, by eating the bread, the idea is, is that belief has become part of who you are. This is who I am. I mean, you look at a human life, they've got many beliefs and many things, and that fashions the person into whom they are. And this belief has truly fashioned us, fashioned us into who we are. And it's the same thing with the drink, in that not only did he come, not only was he incarnate, but he also died he died for our sins so that, again, we would see the great victory that he had over sin and death. Verse 28, For this is my blood of the new covenant which was shed for many for the remission of sins. And so you have the old covenant which was bulls and lambs and pigeons and all of these sacrifices that were continually made that could cover sin but never effectively did away with sin. As far as the death of the Lord, he casts in as far as the east is from the west. Now again, 
He's talking about what is going to occur here just hours away upon the cross. But verse 29 is open-ended. Verse 29 is somewhere in the future. And just as he's talking to the apostles, he's talking to us here today. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He's not going to drink of it now, but he is going to drink of it. And it is going to be in a future time. And there ain't going to be 12 there. There's going to be the multitudes there. And oh, how we so look forward to that day. And if it's you that look forward to that day, rejoice in what we're about to celebrate. Don't let it get past you. Don't allow it to become religious routine in your life. Just something we do and celebrate communion. But again, it's to be a remembrance. This is that time when God is asking you to once again revisit the personal part of the personal relationship that you have with him or maybe I should say that he has fostered with you that you would be strengthened through the inner man that you would be strengthened through the power of his might father we come before you and we just lift up this time to you and we just pray for this communion meal that you would bless it unto our bodies and our soul and spirit as well and so father we just thank you god for your word and all of the revelation of your word but right now father i pray again that you would foster a feeling of family as we partake of this meal uh scott's going to come up and get things set up here go ahead and make two lines and come up and grab the elements, take them back to your seat, hold on to them, and we'll partake together.